Uh, just as we have done uh, each week, we're covering two chapters. So we're taking big chunks out of Exodus to kind of capture some of the main uh, themes throughout the book of Exodus. And in order to give us some context, I want to back up again, back up into chapter four. Uh, if you'll recall where we left off last week before we dig into chapters five and six, uh, just to warn you, five is kind of a discouraging chapter. That's the reason the title of this, the sermon is Discouragement. But in chapter six, we get some good news. So it's going to be a little bit heavy at first, uh, but at the end, we're going to see the good news of Jesus and what he brings for us through his finished work on the cross. Uh, but we also have to be mindful of the immediate context here. As we're heading into chapter 5, something great has just happened in chapter 4. So there's kind of a stark contrast. So we'll pick up the story in Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 uh, to 31. And then as we go through each point, we're going to unpack some of the chapters further into 5 and 6. So uh, look to the screens or to your Bibles, Exodus four twenty-nine to 31. God's word says this, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Hear this. And the people believed. That's a good thing, right? The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, here, this is what they did. They bowed their heads and worshiped. What a beautiful picture, right? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the Christian life is more akin to a marathon than a sprint, right? If you think of a 100-yard dash, that's not what the Christian life is like. It's more like a marathon. In a marathon, there is obstacles, there's uphill climbs, there's descents, there's a crowd around you, there's sore and achy muscles. For those of you who participated in the World Vision 6K run yesterday, who's a little bit sore and achy this morning? I know I am. The, the Christian life is kind of like that, a, a marathon, where things at times are difficult, but you know off in the distance you have a finish line that you're going to cross, and that there's going to be people cheering for you, and you will have accomplished a great feat. As we transition from this point of exodus, a point of seeming jubilation for the Israelites, that they have heard from the Lord through Moses and Aaron, have seen the, the signs, they've believed, they've worshipped. We left off with this celebration last week. We celebrated that together. But the situation, if you know chapter 5, it goes south pretty quick. It gets difficult really quick. It gets discouraging really quickly. Moses' overarching concern throughout the beginning parts of Exodus and his meeting with, with God and, and the bush that burns but is not consumed has been that of the belief of the Israelites. That's been his concern. God, are they going to believe that you sent me? Much of these early chapters has been consumed with that concern from Moses. Are they going to believe that he is truly their deliverer? He's accomplished this task. They believe him, and, and in their belief, they worshiped God. And yet, a cloud looms over the situation as we look to chapters 5 and 6. It's within these chapters that we witness God's plan working itself out in unexpected twists and turns. God's plan isn't always straight. We have a little bit of deviation here and there. A lot at times. 
These twists and turns can breed discouragement among God's deliverer, Moses, and also us, right? Have you felt that discouragement at times when, when God's plan doesn't see, this doesn't seem to be working the way I thought it was going to, God. And so the twists and turns can breed discouragement among God's deliverer, Moses, and the people of God, which brings us to our main idea for this morning. Our main idea is this. Moses is discouraged in the midst of obedience, but God's promise still stands. This passage reminded me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the author says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. That we shed the things aside that are weighing us down so that we may run the race. When when a runner is out running, they don't put a heavy parka coat on and jeans and cowboy boots, do they? No. You wear some little short shorts, some moisture wicking uh, material up top so that the sweat kind of flies off you so that you're a little bit lighter and you can move. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside the discouragement that looms when life doesn't seem to be heading the way that we think it should. The author of Hebrews likens the Christian life to a race, one that requires endurance If you'll notice at the beginning of Hebrews 12, there's a word, therefore, which we've learned in the past always tells us to look back. We look back to Hebrews chapter 11. If if you recall Hebrews 11, a beautiful chapter, it's about the faithful people that have come before us, the faithful men and women of the Old Testament. And so Hebrews 12.1 comes on the heels of that chapter chapter that notes the great faith of people like Abraham and Moses and Rahab. The author notes that we, Christian, we are surrounded by those witnesses. Those witnesses of God's promises. But also, if you, if you recall the, the biblical storyline, each of these individuals, Abraham and Moses, they endured pain and disappointment and discouragement, right? We see it in their lives. And it is within these moments that we must stay focused on the promises of God. So we look at three aspects of discouragement in chapter 5 and conclude with the encouragement of God's promises in chapter 6. So our first point, discouraged by the response of Pharaoh. Discouraged by the response of Pharaoh. Now we get into chapter 5. If you look to your Bibles, verses 1 to 9. says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, now, pause there a second, remember, coming off the heels of the Israelites believing and worshiping, bowing and worship to God, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. Uh Uh-oh. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many. You make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words discouraged by the response of Pharaoh. That's a heavy passage, isn't it? Moses' concern about the reception of the Israelites to his arrival now gives way to the major obstacle that Moses had not anticipated. See, Moses was anticipating that the Israelites were going to be the obstacle, that they weren't going to believe him. But the big obstacle is Pharaoh. I ask you this, have you ever been so worried about one aspect of your life only to be confronted by another unexpected obstacle that's in your, you're so focused on this one thing and you're worried and you don't sleep at night and yet the thing that you should be worrying about is right behind it. Moreover, Pharaoh is the embodiment of the spirit of this world, the spirit of darkness. He's the embodiment of the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Paul states that in Ephesians 6.12. That's what's going on behind Pharaoh's work. You see, church, the spirit of darkness is always at work within the world, striving to stand in the way of God's redemptive plan. We go back to the very beginning of Scripture. From the beginning, the questioning of God springs forth. If you recall in Genesis, the serpent in his deceptive voice to Eve asked what? Did God really say? And here, Pharaoh declares, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? What a terrifying question. In the midst of confrontation with Moses, Pharaoh is not understanding who he is up against. Pharaoh, as we've learned early on, he's a God among men. He's the most powerful man in the world. And he says, who is this God, this Lord, this Yahweh that Moses speaks of? And so Pharaoh subjects the Israelites to even more harsh treatment. The Israelites will begin to cry out and question the calling of Moses. Even though just prior to this, they had praised and believed in God and bowed and worshipped him. The discouragement of Pharaoh's reaction and the Israelites' harsh punishment gives way to Moses saying this later in chapter 6, verse 12. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. He says, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Do you think Moses is discouraged by the response of Pharaoh? 
At this point in the journey, the situation is not looking very good, is it? Such a stark contrast to the jubilation of the Israelites just a chapter earlier. Second discouragement. The second discouragement. Discouraged by the impact of obedience. Discouraged by the impact of obedience. Verses 10 to 21. Remember back in 9, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Now verse 10, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. If you don't know, straw is a very important ingredient in making mud bricks. It holds them together. It's a bonding agent. Go and get your straw yourself. Wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. You have to make the same amount of bricks, but you got to go out and find your own straw. We're not bringing it to you. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all the task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people." But he said, that is Pharaoh, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh Hear these words. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And that is heavy, isn't it? The questioning of Pharaoh doesn't just politely end with a question of who God is, Pharaoh doesn't just end with, Who is the Lord? but now places heavy burdens on God's people. His efforts turn into all-out war against the Israelites. From my research, the the quota seems to have been about 2,000 bricks per group. And some of the records indicate that they weren't even close to meeting 50% of that quota. They were way off. And they still had to go and gather their own straw to hold the bricks together. They're being beaten. The situation is dire, isn't it? We can hear the desperation of their hearts. They believed what Moses and Aaron had told them about the Lord and his deliverance, and yet their situation is now worse. And so who do you run to? Who did they run to? In this section, the Israelite foreman runs and cries to who? Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? But they're crying out to the wrong person, aren't they? 
But we can be confident that even though their cries are falling upon the deaf ears of a mere man, Pharaoh, who thinks he is a god, they do not fall on the deaf ears of the one true God. God hears them. Church, God hears you. He has heard and he will act soon. The Israelites' frustration also gives way to an absolute repudiation of Moses and Aaron. They say, the Lord look on you and judge. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? You could substitute another word in there that they're saying to Moses and Aaron. In a sense, they're cursing him. They're cursing them. And he says, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand. Can you imagine bringing this good news to somebody and things go downhill and that's their response to you? Lord, judge you. You make us stink. That's heavy. We'll get to good news in just a second. Discouragement number three. Discouraged by the immediate results of the calling of God. Discouraged by the immediate results of the calling of God. Verses 22 to 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh, I speak in your name. He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Have you ever found yourself in Moses' shoes? God, what are you doing? God, I've obeyed you. But everything seems like it's worse. You've not delivered at all. Moses is discouraged by the immediate results of the calling of God, and he questions his calling. Church, I want to pause here. These types of texts are so important to the day-to-day grind of the Christian life. We could skip past five and just go straight to six, because the good news is in six. But church, my desire is that you will be equipped in the midst of discouragement, that you can hear how God's people worked through this and how God intervened on their behalf so that you might walk out of here and be encouraged and say, I know that God is true to his word. We have to have real talk in the local church. We cannot gloss things over. Life is difficult. The calling of God is difficult at times. So many sermons center on a topic. How to have a better marriage, how to manage your finances well, how to be happy. Those aren't bad topics. But they don't answer the question of, what do I do when I've obeyed the Lord and I'm discouraged by the immediate results? Because I don't know about you, but I've been there before. My obedience to the Lord has led to more hardship. Or maybe the people that I've been discipling or investing into or showing Christ to are going through suffering and now they're questioning their own faith. God, where are you? We need answers to these questions, don't we, church? We need encouragement. 
We need a firm foundation to stand on. This also foreshadows the ministry of Jesus. All the questioning throughout Jesus' ministry. Who are you, Jesus? By what authority do you do these things, Jesus? To Jesus, a picture of Jesus in Luke 19, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. We see his emotion. And he says, if only you knew the time of your visitation. And later in the Gospels, we're confronted with Jesus praying to his Father when his hour is near. Abba, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But for the glory set before him, right? But for the glory set before him, he endured death on the cross. Real emotions from Jesus, our Savior. We see here real emotions from Moses, the Deliverer. I'm so thankful that God's word doesn't gloss over these things. Church, the Christian life is not all roses and cherry blossoms, is it? At times it is. But at times it is also tough and discouraging. And you need to know this. So that you may not utter the words that the Israelites did to Moses towards Jesus and say, you've made a stink in the sight of the world. Have you ever felt this way before? My hope for this church is that we can be real about these things. Have you felt this way before? We get weighed down by the immediate results of our calling. The life that God has called you to is not always on a trajectory that is up and to the right. That's a good trajectory, right? When the stock market is going up and to the right, people are making money. The life that God has called you to is not always up and to the right. It's generally obedience and then some financial problems. Obedience and then rebellion from some of my kids. And then spiritual growth and humility. And then obedience and then cancer or sickness. And then humility and prayer and deep intimacy with God. And then obedience and then another issue. Okay, It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? Up and down and up and down. And yet we're not left in our discouragement. Moses cries out to the Lord, why did you ever send me? He didn't say, oh Lord, thank you for this discouragement that you have cast upon me that I may grow weary and rely more on you. No, why did you send me, God? Moses' questions are his real emotions coming through, not some sort of false pietism. If, this is why I know Scripture is real, because these things are included. And then later in Hebrews 11, he's remembered as a great man of faith. The, man, the great man of faith who said, God, why did you send me? And God answers, doesn't he? Chapter 6, God's encouragement. Okay, everybody breathe in. Okay. <laughs> we have to do it. We got to wrestle with the hard stuff. Because the good news is so much sweeter. God's encouragement. Exodus 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them 
out of his land. We're seeing cracks of the good news coming through. God is victorious. We need to hear this from God. God's playing a much longer game than we are. We want God to work in days and weeks and months, and yet our God is working in lifetimes and generations. And so in the midst of discouragement, call to God just as Moses has. And God will surely answer with these reassurances. And I want you to hear this, church. These reassurances are so much more impactful to us. Why? Because the reassurances of God to us are covered under the precious blood of Jesus. And you, Christian, have been filled with his Holy Spirit, united with him for eternity. It's covered under the blood of Jesus on the cross, the promise of new life in his resurrection. We have proof because our Savior rose from the dead in victory. And he has sealed you by the Holy Spirit that has indwelled you. You are filled with his Holy Spirit. That's why the word of promise for us is even better than this. If we look back to verse 1, we can, we can substitute in 6.1 the word for Pharaoh for Paul's words that we drew on earlier from Ephesians 6.12. God would say, now you shall see what I will do to the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. For a strong hand, for, for from a strong hand I will send them out, and with a strong hand I will drive them out of this land. God is victorious, church. God wins. This is the encouragement. God will bring his perfect plan to pass. And in the midst of our immediate discouragement, we can be encouraged by the promises of God. It's the importance of reading God's word so we know what the promises are that he has given us. Encouragement number one He is the Lord. We could just drop the mic right there, couldn't we? He is the Lord. It says in verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. That's it. I am the Lord. I got to get a drink of water before I launch into this next section. God begins his encouragement of Moses with who he is. This is my name. I am the Lord. He is the Lord. There is so much that is embodied in this statement. When we see God respond this way, he's speaking a word of comfort because he is reminding Moses who has called him. I am the Lord. Hear that, Christian The Lord has called you. When he says that, it means this. I am the Lord who created all things. 
I am the Lord that delivered Noah and his family from the waters of judgment. I am the Lord that provided a son to Abraham and Sarah, a barren elderly woman. I am the Lord that provided a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. I am the Lord who was with Joseph and providentially guided his reunion with his father and brothers as they sought help in a time of famine. I am the Lord who is eternal. I am the Lord who is unchanging. I am the Lord who is omnipresent. I am the Lord who is omnipotent. I am the Lord who is omniscient. I am the Lord who is loving and merciful and just. I am the Lord who is holy, holy, holy. And for us, new covenant followers of Jesus, it means this. I am the Lord who humbled himself to the point of taking on human flesh, who lived in your place a perfect and obedient life, I am the Lord who willingly went to the cross for crimes I didn't commit. I am the Lord who has risen from the dead. And I am the Lord who ascended to heaven. And I am the Lord who is coming back to consummate the kingdom of God and make all things new. And so God reminds Moses first of who he is. And then he reminds Moses of his covenant promise. Encouragement number two. He has established his covenant. He has established his covenant. Verses 3 to 4, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Hear this, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I want to focus on this. I also established my covenant with them. All these men of Genesis listed here, we call them the patriarchs, were at times discouraged. This coupled with the fact that they were at times disobedient, sinful, troublesome men. And yet it says, God established a covenant with them. An agreement And that which God agrees to, he will not fail to bring to pass, church. The beauty of this reminder, though, is that it brings us to a new and better covenant. We are under a new covenant, church. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the guarantee of the new covenant. It will not fail because it is based on the work of God alone, not on our work. He is true to his covenant, and we are part of this new, and he says, better covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the coming week, you're getting homework today. I encourage you, there's some passages listed there that which reference the new covenant. I encourage you to read through these passages. Jeremiah 33, 31, to, and verse 33, Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, Luke 22, 20, Hebrews 7, 22, and then read into Hebrews 8. They all speak of the new covenant, which you have, which you should be encouraged by. We remember the new covenant at the end of our worship gathering when we receive communion. We should be encouraged by a God who makes a covenant and makes sure that it happens. By his grace and his mercy. Encouragement number three. He hears you, responds, and is faithful to his promise. He hears you responds, and is faithful to his promise. We're just going to look at verses 5 to 8. 
says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant, my agreement. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. The Lord has reminded Moses of who he is. He is the Lord. That he is a God who has established a covenant with his people. Lastly, that he is personally involved with them. He's not a distant God. He isn't so near. Do not be discouraged, church. God has heard you. He's responding to you. And hear this. He is faithful to keep his promise. Sometimes we need to pull out of this small, nearsighted situation that we are in and lift our eyes to the finish line. God is victorious. He's already won the victory at the cross. The nail that was driven through Jesus' feet is the nail that crushed the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 And so God's promise to you is this. In the midst of immediate discouragement, sometimes found in obedience to the Lord, he's working his perfect plan to pass. God will not be overcome. We are reminded of all that God has done for us. The promises that we have secured through the work of Christ and given to us in Scripture hear this, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is true to his covenant word. Those are the promises that we can hold on to. Your eternity and certain victory is secure in Jesus because it's secured by the work of another. Therefore, we can do this, Psalm fifty-five twenty-two. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He will never leave you nor forsake you, church. That's the promise that we can hold on to this morning that was bought by the precious blood of Jesus.